Now then, I shall need multi-copies of that recording, unlimited computer time and somewhere to work. Mr. Shaw, I shall need your help. How did you know that sound was going to be repeated? By exercising my intelligence. Now, since we didn't reply, the message would obviously be repeated. Now, we've got to break down that code and answer them. Answer who? The man's a fool. How can I possibly tell who the message is from until I know what it says? Thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Mac. And I'm Caleb. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And today, we are going to be watching The Ambassadors of Death. The Ambassadors of Death was written by David Whitaker, directed by Michael Ferguson, and produced by Barry Letts. It aired March 21st, 1970 to May 2nd, 1970. David Whitaker should be familiar to you at this point. Should be. <laughs> should be. So many things me... should be in this world, Mac. <laughs> Give me a quick reminder. He is probably one of the most common writers in uh, Doctor Who. Oh, fuck. It's Cybermen, isn't it? No, 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 no. You're thinking of oh. Kit Peddler. Kid Peddler can't hurt you anymore. He is he is gone. David Whitaker wrote The Edge of Destruction, The Rescue, The Crusade, Power of the Daleks, Evil of the Daleks, Enemy of the World, and Wheel in Space. Okay, so so when he's on, he's on. When he's off, he's on. <laughs> yeah, so this is, <laughs> this is basically a coin flip right now. <laughs> this is either going to be the best Third Doctor episode or probably in our bottom five. <laughs> I'm eager to find out. So this this season has four stories. It has Spearhead, Silurians, Ambassadors, and then another one. I always remember those three. I, rem- I remember Spearhead, I remember Silurians, and I remember the fourth one. I always forget that Ambassadors <laughs> exists. And I, oh. and like, despite the fact that because we're in the era we're in, and I've I've seen this episode title several times. I'm like, I keep forgetting what it's called. I'm like, let's see. There's Spearhead. There's Silurians. There's... And then there's... Uh... What was that third one? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm actually eager to watch it because I... <laughs> genuinely no idea what to expect. <laughs> that inspires a lot of confidence in uh, me, Mac. Yeah. A lot of confidence, I gotta tell you. Uh I mean, you know, it could still be good. It's just that I have a shit memory. Never never base anything on whether I remember something or not. <laughs> but hey, I've stalled enough time for you, Caleb. Given everything that you know about Doctor Who and given the title of this episode, The Ambassadors of Death. What do you think this episode is going to be about? So the Doctor, still very upset about the destruction of the Silurians, does manage to harvest some of their technology and invents a faster-than-light like ship drive thing. And they build a spaceship that will take them to another planet, you know, faster than light. So Unit sends out, uh, they, they do a test to zip to a new planet, and they're like, wow, we could totally live here, and this could be a new human colony. Incredible. 
And the doctor lands down, and he's like, yes, but, like, we need to respect the aliens because, you know, we don't want to genocide them. That would be bad. So they get on the planet, and the aliens are gross. And the doctor's like, I don't like them. Kill these ones. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> the doctor was going to be against genocide in this episode, now he's for in this one. Like, That's the oh. thrust. But these ones are ugly. All right, fine. You can have one genocide. And I mean, like, really ugly. <laughs> you don't understand, Liz. They were really, really ugly. <laughs> well, I'm eager to see if you're right. <laughs> it's the Sense Right planet. It's the Sense Right fan. <laughs> yeah, they go down and they're, like, and they're like, yeah, definitely purge these fuckers. Get rid of them. <laughs> I learned my lesson. I didn't kill them all last time. I'm here to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, but that will start an intergalactic war. And like, no, 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 they're pussies. They'll, they'll let you do it. <laughs> they're the alien equivalent of doormats. <laughs> On that note, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. And we're back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was eight days for us. Could have been seven, but I fucked it all to hell. Well, that's just that's just par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> when is that not the case? <laughs> that's that's going to be written on your tombstone. It's like <laughs> Caleb Andrew Clark. I would have been here sooner, but I fucked it all to hell. <laughs> Caleb Clark, late to hell. <laughs> I believe I do recall my father at one point describing you as a man who would be late to his own funeral. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we finished, what is this fucking called? Ambassadors of Death. I don't know what it is about this episode, but for whatever reason, the words Ambassadors of Death just will not stick in my head. Stick to your brain. I don't know what it is. This episode title, I just... I gloss over it every single time i'm looking through the episodes i don't know why because <laughs> it's a it's a perfectly fine episode <laughs> it's not like it's particularly like boring or unmemorable it's just it's not sticking in my head <laughs> well it's actually kind of funny because when i went to go like re write my recaps for it the tardis wiki would not register this episode like, I type in the Ambassadors of Death, and it would not appear. I had to go to Third Doctor Appearances and then click on Ambassadors of Death. Bizarre. Yeah, I know. So, you're not the only one who can't. <laughs> <laughs> Plot twist. I am the Doctor Who wiki. <laughs> I am TARDIS.wiki. Uh, I, I am the Matrix. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Caleb, uh, before, before we start, general thoughts. What did you think of the Ambassadors of Death? I actually really liked it. About 75% of the time, I'm going to say. Around the end of episode 5 and then 6 and 7, I was like, alright, come on. Yeah, much like with so many others, this one's like, I would have loved this episode if it were about two or three episodes shorter. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> how I felt. I, I think the first, like, definitely the first episode is very, very strong. And there was enough political intrigue in it to like kind of keep me going and then the political entry got revealed and it's kind of stupid yeah 
And then, yeah, and, that, and then there were two more episodes left. I have very mixed feelings about this episode because I think it has a lot of a lot of really good ideas. There were some parts that I felt really dragged, but there's also, like, one specific character that I, I love. <laughs> so... <laughs> Kind of curious who that is. Yeah, but uh, let's let's go ahead and let's go ahead and yeah. get started. Let's dig into the episodes. Bada bing, bada boom. The first episode of the description is the longest, so buckle up. Mars Probe Seven approaches Earth's orbit after months of radio silence. The scientists on Earth are eager to get a hold of it to learn what has happened to the crew, or even if the crew is still on board. The Doctor, meanwhile, is trying to work on the TARDIS because he's probably sick of all of Eunice's bullshit. As he's watching coverage on the probe, a shrill noise emits and the astronaut sent to retrieve it screams. The doctor recognizes the sound as some sort of message and races off to the space station with Liz and leather strips in tow. <laughs> the doctor barges in and instantly starts bossing people around, annoying Cornish, the lead scientist. Another message comes through and the doctor gets to work deciphering it. At another location, a group of men are also working to decode the message. They send a message back, and Unit uses that to track them down. A shootout happens, but Stewart manages to capture one of the men for interrogation. However, their communications device is rigged to explode, and it goes off as the brigadier enters the room. Back at the space station, a scientist named Taltalian is ordered to help the doctor and Liz, but he draws a gun on them when they enter the room. I'm pretty sure it's in this episode, and maybe the next episode, I'm not sure. But they were trying something new with the intro they like played part of the the theme song and then like had like a recap of the cliffhanger from the previous episode yeah it's like the last 30 seconds of the previous episode yeah and then it cuts back to the theme song to show the the ambassadors of death and then it cuts Mm -hmm. to the episode they won't stick with that I think they were just trying some new shit out, and I'm pretty sure it's this one and the next one, and then they're like, okay, that's annoying. <laughs> yeah, fucked me up every time. <laughs> but we need to address the elephant in the room, and by uh, the elephant in the room, I of course mean the TARDIS console in the room. How the fuck did he get the TARDIS console into his laboratory when the TARDIS door is so fucking small? <laughs> How did he get it in there? Is that what happened? I thought they were in the TARDIS and they just had hideous decorations. No, I'm pretty sure he took, he, he like gutted the TARDIS and was like working on the TARDIS console outside of the TARDIS. Because my note was literally, what the fuck happened to the TARDIS? No, I'm pretty sh- I'm pretty sure they were like in somebody's living room. <laughs> oh, I just thought the doctor was looking around and he's like, hmm, this, you know what this quirky science fiction machine needs? To look like a Victorian house. <laughs> Well, as as we saw in uh, uh, Twice Upon a Time, the TARDIS con- the TARDIS console room does go through some changes, but no, it's it, not yet. It does not look like your uh, grandma's house with all the coverings on all the furniture. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, then he accidentally sends Liz forward in time for fifteen seconds. Yeah, which I thought which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, that was kind of funny. It comes up later in the strangest nonsensical way possible see you'd think it would but it doesn't it it seems like it is but it doesn't and it really annoyed me (laughs) we'll get to that but one thing i a moment that i can almost guarantee you just based on the editing i can almost guarantee you this was improvised by john pertwee 
the doctor is like staring intently at the at the TV screen, uh, watching the news. And then Liz comes over and hands him a cup of tea, and he takes it and uh, like stirs it a little bit uh, while continuing to look at the TV and talking to her. And then he hands her he hands her the cup, and she takes it and just like looks confused. And it cut right there. And I guarantee you that was improv because he does not take a sip of the tea at all. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a lot of moments in this where I kind of yuck it up with the doctor. He is like really snarky in this story. Is is John Pertwee becoming your favorite doctor? <laughs> I think so, actually. Good to know. But yeah, and then um, he's watching the thing. He makes some snarky comment about Lethbridge Stewart. Uh, He's going to go all Silurian on this if we don't do something. Yeah. And I was kind of hoping that that throwaway line of, well, let's hope it, let's hope this goes better than uh, it did with the Silurians. I was kind of hoping there'd be a little bit more of like a mention or a tension between the between the doctor and the brigadier because of the previous episode. Not really. No, not really. Not unfortunately, really. I was kind of hoping for more of a not only that. But the moral quandary of the episode almost seems to contradict his views from the last episode. Yeah. This episode was very similar in terms of, like, the approach to the aliens. And I don't know. I guess there are some slight nuances that make it a little bit more, well, nuance, I guess. But yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that. Not actually. Let me go on the record real quick and be, and like, I don't know if it's the first time, but this is a time where I actually don't agree with the really hostile action toward the aliens. Yeah. Oh, uh, I do really like how this is uh, becoming a consistent trait with this Doctor, because the Doctor comes into the uh, space station control, and he just, like, starts taking over operations to try and solve the mystery of the signal, and is, like, ordering people around, and is absolutely just offended that everyone isn't immediately following all of his orders. (laughs) Just like... (laughs) Why are you questioning me? Why are you not why are you not doing exactly what I say? Because you just walked in here? Yeah. Like five seconds ago. That's five seconds you could have been doing shit. Andale, andale, andale. Straight up, the doctor comes in and he's like, You there, get me the most advanced computer in the world. You bring me a cup of tea. You move. I wanna sit there. And Cornish like looks up and he's like, I'm like, sorry, who the fuck are you? Yeah, Cornish is like, um, no and the, <laughs> the doctor basically just turns to the brigadier and it's like i can't work under these conditions <laughs> i appreciate that but uh speaking of consistent traits i am digging liz's outfits throughout this entire story oh i know liz's style like she she has yeah no she looks great like i think in this first episode she's got like a long sleeved pink dress with like a long brown vest over the top of it and knee-high white go-go boots. And it, I fucking love it. <laughs> the knee-high white go-go boots stick around. I think she wears it. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure, yeah, that's the most consistent part of her outfit. <laughs> but yeah, but then in later episodes, uh, she's got this like also long-sleeved, sweet, silver dress that ends in like a miniskirt, like mm-hmm. ends in like mid-thigh. Yeah. Very stylish. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, representing the 70s well. Yes, quite well. So the they hear the signal from the Mars probe, and then after a while, a signal responds to it from Earth. And they're trying to figure out 
where exactly it came from. And there's like this long scene of like trying to get on the horn with different unit stations across the world of like uh, Tokyo says says they've checked out. No, there's no signal coming from there. And they like do this whole long thing. And then they're like, okay, we finally triangulated the position. We know where it's coming from. Where is it coming from? London. And I'm like, of course the signal is coming from London. Where the <laughs> fuck else would it come from in this show? <laughs> Fucking Queens? I don't think so. <laughs> God, I would f- I would pay money to watch this show try and set- <laughs> do part of it in Queens. <laughs> uh, oh. Then my last note is action, action, action. Uh, well, there's an important note to, about the action, and not important at all. It's just the one thing I noticed. There's one point, so like there's like this big shootout at this warehouse, right? They're tracking down these people, and there's one point where Lethbridge, Stewart, and this one guy have like their guns drawn on each other, and there's like a unit soldier like sneaking up behind the other guy, and he grabs a hold of this like big hook thing, and Lethbridge, Stewart is like, "Now!" and then the guy throws it with the idea that it's gonna hit this guy in the head. And then the guy just straight up sidesteps it, slides Lethbridge Stewart's gun away, and then shoots the other guy. <laughs> I was like, man, if the guy wasn't dead, he'd be fired. <laughs> You're lucky you died in battle. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have killed you myself. I, I am flabbergasted at how utterly incompetent everyone at unit seems to be. <laughs> I really feel like Lethbridge Stewart isn't as successful as he makes himself out to be, and that the army just made up a division for him to be in charge of where they could send all the rejects. I actually have a theory about that later on in the episode. I have a note <laughs> about that. But uh, as, oh. as for this specific episode, I'm done. Okay, well then, the thing blows up, which will be only relevant immediately as the episode ends, and then Totalian pulls a gun, and then yeah, I'm ready for episode two. Yeah. Totalian wants the doctor's tape of the message, which he can translate with a converter. However, the brigadier comes in, apparently unharmed, and Taltalian rushes out of the room. The doctor and Stewart interview the man from the warehouse, who is a sergeant in the military, except there's no record of the man being enlisted. However, they have bigger fish to fry when the Mars probe, when the Mars probe 7 re-enters the atmosphere. Unit is sent to retrieve the probe, but they are ambushed by mysterious and well-equipped men. When the interlopters steal the probe, the Doctor is able to get it back and returns it to the space station. Liz has cracked the coded message, and the Doctor heads off to talk to the top man about it. He, Cornish, Liz, and Stewart enter the holding area with the probe, and they finally get in radio contact with the astronauts inside. However, their message repeats again and again, even when it doesn't make sense. Finally, the Doctor orders them to open up the probe. Episode starts, and the Italian is holding them again gunpoint and demanding the doctor hand over the tape and it just like disappears from his hand there's like a it's gone yep very much in the same editing style as the tardis thing from before yes exactly and the, and totalian's like where did it go what did you do with it and liz just kind of cheekily says maybe you went forward in time and then uh in order to fulfill his quota uh he takes liz captive for about a second uh, then after he met, he meets his quota, he immediately lets her go and then runs. Yep. After, again, Lethbridge Stewart walks into the room, after just being X amount of miles away, being blown up by a bomb. Yeah. And then after Tatillion leaves, Liz asks the doctor, okay, so what did you do with the tape? Did you send it forward in time? And he's like, oh, the tape? You mean this? And just like he just like pulls it out of thin air. And she asks him, did you do a, a time thing? 
And he said, what? No, of course not. It's just a easy uh, transmigration of objects. It's a simple trick. And I'm like, no, but seriously, what the actual fuck did you just do? Because <laughs> I, I, I would have bought that he had... He just like had a thing from the TARDIS up his sleeve, literally, and it's like, oh no, yeah, I can, I can like click it, and it goes forward in time for a couple seconds. If you Google transmigration of objects, the first result is from the TARDIS wiki. That's how made up this this concept <laughs> is. <laughs> oh boy, howdy! So yeah, I had a bit of an issue with that. I'm like, you you set something up. In order for it to, in order to spike it, and then after the setup, you're like, "Nah, I'm gonna go play basketball instead," and the volleyball just landed in the on the ground. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it was it was a very silly moment, and also like again, totally pointless. What did it? How did it change the scene at all? It didn't. <laughs> That's what makes me so mad about it. <laughs> so Italian rushes away, and then. Uh... And then they interrogate the guy, but that leads absolutely fucking nowhere. And then they go to get the probe after it re-enters the atmosphere and it crashes in England. Can you believe it? Oh, my God. To start the other very large action sequence that is hilariously blocked. Yes. Um, There's a lot more action sequences in general in this story, and they're all hilarious. I honestly don't have a whole lot to say about this part specifically because... Because after the my raging about the transmigration of objects, uh, my next note is, man, space stuff is actually kind of boring, huh? Because there's a long scene of them, like, doing some radio contact between them and the, like, trying to get in contact with the, with the probe. And I'm just like, all right. Yep. Uh-huh. Still can't get in contact, huh? Okay, cool. Let's move on, please. Yeah, there's quite a bit of that. And then the the action sequence is really pro- prolonged, too, because, like, they mm-hmm. take a truck. They take a whole caravan to get it. The truck goes over a bridge, and they make sure that you know that truck made it all the way across the bridge because mm-hmm. they, just, they just keep a tracking shot just as it's driving down the road. I'm like... I think we can assume that it makes it across the bridge. We don't have to keep this shot. We're still we're still on the shot. Okay. Yep. Very long sequence of them driving, um, and then they finally get it, and then they're on their way back, and like they get ambushed by like these other guys in cars, and then a fucking helicopter comes out of nowhere <laughs> and like lifts the probe off like James Bond style. <laughs> Uh, and they act like the helicopter snuck up on them, which I find hilarious. <laughs> which reminds me of um, the invasion. The last time Unit used a helicopter. Well, I mean, this isn't Unit, but like the last time there was a Unit story and the, there was a helicopter. It was like, yeah, we're going to just fly around the base for a while and make sure that nobody sees us in our goddamn <laughs> helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> They, they do end up stealing the probe, and then the doctor kind of, like, accidentally runs into them and then blocks the road and then steals it back by sticking them to his car. He does, like, a... I don't want to say it's a James Bond. It's more of an Inspector Gadget kind of move, where, like, they're helping him push the car off of the road, and then he pushes a button uh, on his dash that, like, 
sticks their hand. I'm guessing like a magnetizing kind of thing where like they're paralyzed. They can't pull their hands off of the car. And then he takes their truck and drives off. Boy, and then they're like, did you go arrest those guys? And they're like, no, they got away. And he's like, hmm. Didn't work as well as I thought it would. Yeah, he's like, "Uh, I got to do some modifications so people will be stuck to my car even longer. Bessie. (laughs) I also have the note of the brigadier saying, you know, one of these days I'm going to lead a a platoon of men and all of them won't die. But, oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. But unit soldiers just die in droves in this story. (laughs) I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unless, I mean, not even. I was about to say, unless the unit soldier has a name. They're basically just cannon fodder, but sometimes even when they have names <laughs> and they were, they made some sort of comment because they're, they're on the radio with what, who they think is the guy who's inside the probe. And, uh, they make the comment that he sounds brainwashed. And I'm like, I can't tell because at the very beginning of episode one, they're actually on the radio with him and he sounds bored out of his mind during that radio conversation. And, like, I see absolutely no difference between beginning of episode one and end of episode two. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be brainwashed, too, if I'd spent months and months in space. <laughs> I've got no more notes. This episode was, yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a game of hot potato, but with a really, really big potato. That's basically <laughs> what this episode was. Basically. So now we're getting into episode three. The probe is empty with the tape recorder repeating the message from before. Someone has already come in and abducted the astronauts. They have been taken by General Carrington, who is keeping the astronauts alive by pumping them with radiation. Carrington explains to the doctor he runs the newly formed Space Security Office, and that they shouldn't worry about anything anymore. The doctor is suspicious of the cover story. A criminal named Reagan abducts the astronauts again, this time moving them to a bunker off-site. He's recruited a scientist named Lennox to help him keep them alive. The doctor doesn't think the astronauts could handle the radiation they were exposed to, and believes the men in the suits are aliens. Reagan tries to bait the doctor and Liz into leaving the facility, but only Liz goes, and she's abducted by two of Reagan's goons. For the record, Reagan is the guy that I fell in love with. He is oh, yeah. he is one of my favorite <laughs> character archetypes in that I just love killing. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And like all of his motivation is related to just do crime. <laughs> Be gay, do crime. <laughs> That's Reagan's motto. And I, I do appreciate how they have the sit down meeting with uh, the higher ups and with Carrington and everything, and they realize that, oh, everyone's on the same side and the doctor even makes the comment of oh i guess that's it's a case of the left hand not knowing what the right is doing a eh, a eh, brigadier and they all have like a good laugh and i'm like oh of course that gunfight where you shot down several of my men was just a hilarious <laughs> misunderstanding <laughs> it'll be a story we laugh about in several years <laughs> we'll laugh about it at my soldier's funeral it'll be great <laughs> but brigadier why did my husband die? Funny story, that. <laughs> You're going to laugh when you hear this. <laughs> um, there's a lot of, again, just very prolonged talking. There's a lot of prolonged talking, and I, I make that note. I'm like, it, it's not like nothing is happening. It's just that I have nothing to comment on. Yeah, because, like, for me, personally, I like the political intrigue of, like, who's yeah. working for who? Why do, why do people keep dying or going missing? Like, that's all very interesting. Mm-hmm. The scenes themselves are just very drawn out. Yes. Oh, this is also the point where I note that, like, 
I thought this was the return of the Daleks. Oh yeah. Because don't they also need radiation or something like that? That's true. They do they do usually need radiation. Survive. And <laughs> this is just me, like, you know, a whole bunch of people are just standing around and talking, so I'm kind of paying attention to a whole bunch of like background details to just, just think of stuff to say. And um at one point Cornish is like uh looking over one of the other scientists' uh shoulder while scientists like typing at a computer. And then he turns around and starts talking to the doctor. And I'm like, the scientist that is at the computer right now straight up looks like she's 14 at most. She is an actual child sitting at that computer. (laughs) And I was kind of wondering if maybe a producer just like snuck her on set to see if anyone would notice. Like, but I want to be on TV. Okay, just be quiet. Just be quiet. Just don't bring attention to yourself. Don't move. Don't say anything. (laughs) to bring your daughter to a national emergency day. <laughs> uh, and then Liz goes fucking speed racer in Bessie. And I, I loved it. <laughs> oh, I know. She's like, oh, it was a really intense chasing. And then she's like running on a dam. Yeah. She, she's like, she like, these guys are chasing after her in a car chase. And she like fucking Tokyo drifts and Bessie <laughs> to try and get away from them. And then they get in front of her and like, cut her off and then park their car and they get out and then liz gets out of her car and starts running away and i'm like liz they're out of their car put the pedal to the metal and fucking drive away why are you getting out of bessie right now you didn't have to stop Mac is like, you can use the car to get away. And I'm like, you can use the car to commit vehicular manslaughter. Whichever. <laughs> Just run them over. Look, if she happens to hit a couple and gain some points while she's running away, I mean, you know, no harm, no foul. These guys are probably dicks. They probably deserved it. She runs on the dam and these guys are chasing after her. And one of them, like, grabs her and she, like, fucking wails him and he like falls off and is like hanging hanging by fingertips and like being dragged down into the dam and i'm like yeah fucking get him liz kill him (laughs) (laughs) and then it ends with uh i don't remember if like she tries to jump or if she gets knocked off the side but ends with her like flipping over a rail Uh uh-huh and again the criticism for me is not that these end on cliffhangers anymore it's just that they end very abruptly and very weirdly because she's like mid flip and then it, it rolls credits. Yes. In terms of they're trying to figure out like how stuff works and the beginning and end, they're trying to figure out how to do better transitions for stingers. That will actually improve. Okay. They've like figured out the music that they're going to use, but it's like, you're right, it's just a jarring cut to credits what will eventually happen is that the the ending music will start playing over the cliffhanger and then we'll go to credits so it'll okay. be a little bit less jarring okay just, just to put your mind at ease there it's <laughs> like it's not i'm not upset that she's hanging over the bridge i'm not upset about any of that that's good that's good cliffhanger why is it cutting in the middle of her falling <laughs> that's what i don't understand <laughs> that's all i got for this episode yep all right, episode four, we're moving right along. Hell yeah. Liz is brought to the bunker with Lennox and forced to work with him. Cornish and the Brigadier are working to find her and the astronauts, but the doctor is convinced that the astronauts are still in space. Taltalian is back on the scene, and he assures the doctor he was working under Carrington's orders. 
However, that's all a ruse, and he is still working with Reagan to undermine the operation. Lennox helps Liz escape, but it does no good because she is captured by Taltalian. Reagan has a brilliant scheme to blow the doctor up with a suitcase bomb, and needs Taltalian to drop it off. He assures the man will go off 15 minutes after the switch is engaged. A nervous Taltalian returns to the center, but when he tries to set the bomb timer, it detonates in his face. The doctor survives the blast. Disappointed by this, Reagan uses a device to control the astronauts and orders them to head to some guy named Sir James's office and kill him before he can reveal the secrets to the doctor. Yeah, Sir James was the guy whose office that they had to meet in where they where they all laughed at the hilarious misunderstanding. Oh, okay, that's who it was. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. This is when uh I'm like, yes, I really like Reagan cuz he's he's just such a he's just such a smarmy asshole who just like knows that he's got people under his thumb and is just just having a gay old time about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I I do like how uh uh, Tatillion is uh, kind of stuck with the doctor because the doctor is not giving him he's is never not watching him to make sure that he's not pulling something and so uh, in order to do this they get in contact with the doctor and basically says hey Liz will be killed if you don't stop interfering the doctor is like hangs up the phone and uh, Tatillion's like who was that and it's like someone threatening me with uh, killing Liz if if I don't stop Anyway, well, back to work. He goes back to doing science, and Tatillion is like, "Well, don't don't you think you should go after her?" And the doctor's basically like, "Nah, she's got this." Anyway, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure she'll be fine. I was like, "Ah, classic doctor disregarding the safety of his companion." See, again, you say disregarding the safety of his companions. I see that as having faith in his companions. I'm just like, I, she's a big girl. She's got it handled. <laughs> now, to be fair, Liz is a big girl and mostly has it handled. For the most part, yeah. I mean, she's she's is captured for most of the story, but I never really got the sense that she lost any agency despite that. Yeah, she didn't lose any agency. She makes one glaring mistake that makes me doubt her ability to be on her own. <laughs> but Yeah. I'll set the scene. So yeah. she's captured by Liz, or she's captured, and Lennox tells her that he's not hostage, but he's like begrudgingly helping them, but he's going to help her escape. So she does, she gets the key, she rushes out, and she runs down the road, and then stands on the road right outside of the facility she <laughs> escaped, and is like waving down cars. To like hitchhike, yeah. And then, oh my god, one of the cars that stops is someone who works at that facility. Can you fucking believe it? Yeah, I made the exact same <laughs> note. I was like, Liz, honey, walk a mile or something before don't don't hitchhike immediately outside of the secret hideout you're being kept in <laughs> oh oh liz honey she, she like opens the door and sees totillion she's like well retrospect's a bitch huh <laughs> so yeah so i was like hmm, maybe liz does need the doctor around and then they they come up with the bomb plan, which definitely seems like it would be very easy to backfire. And Reagan is counting on that because it immediately backfires. And Reagan manages to uh, blow two birds to smithereen with one stone, or at least he thought so. The doctor managed to get away with the explosion with just like a bandage on his cheek. And I'm like, how did you survive the explosion? See, something weird is going on. Explosions seem to do nothing unless you're like literally have your face next to the bomb in this episode. Because the Brigadier also survived an explosion. 
Totillion was right next to the bomb and he just like took all of the shrapnel from the explosion <laughs> and just like one managed to get by and like cut the doctor's cheek. He's like, ooh, that's smarts. Yeah, because <laughs> the doctor is very far away. It's been established that whoever's making these bombs can only make them lethal within a very teeny tiny radius. <laughs> and Totillion's face is right in front of the suitcase. I like how these aliens have just like the touch of death. And the way they have the touch of death is just, they skyrocket your level of radiation, like, instantly. That basically <laughs> makes you explode. Yeah, I don't remember if it's in this episode or not when they go to kill Sir James, but there is, like, one really cool effect where, like, the astronaut is, like, walking down the road. They're trying to shoot at him. He's not going down. And, like, he touches the rail thing and, like, a... Like a like a little fire starts and heads down the railing. It was really cool. Yeah, I think so. Like somebody was wasn't somebody like holding a bar or something, and he, it mm-hmm. grabbed the bar and uh, like electrocuted him. Yeah, that was really cool. I'm assuming that this was just like a sound effect to really sh- really showcase. Hey, these guys are radioactive, but like they have like a really loud like shh noise anytime they're on screen. I I think it's supposed to be like almost like a geiger counter kind of effect yeah i could see it being that it's also funny because every time they touch someone like a big like it looks like a red x appears on screen yeah they're just like dead (laughs) but the doctor goes to sir james's office and finds him dead on his desk and then he like goes over to sir james to like check his check his pulse and stuff and the alien like was behind the door and starts walking towards the doctor with his hand reached out and he is, like, very loud. Like, he has that sound effect going really loud, which is what makes me think that it is just, like, a a non-diegetic sound because there's no way in hell the doctor would not hear that guy behind him. <laughs> <laughs> That's just for us, the viewer, to know, hey, don't touch that. Also, did not occur to me until, like, episode five, six, somewhere in there, aliens do not have a name. Nope. They do not have a name. And so I don't, I just call them the suits in my notes because I didn't know what else to call them. <laughs> the blue man group. The blue man group. That is, that's pretty accurate. All right. Should I read episode five? Go for it. To reveal why they're called the blue man group? Yeah. The doctor walks in to see James's corpse and the astronaut seals him in, seals him and the brigadier in the room. The astronaut is also impervious to bullets because of some force field or whatever. Carrington is pressuring Cornish to comply with his orders, as he believes this is the early stages of an extraterrestrial attack. After fighting for a while, Liz convinces Lennox to escape and turn himself over to Unit. He does so, but is killed in his cell before he can talk to the Brigadier. The Doctor is prepared to go to space to find the astronauts, but is held up by several attempts at sabotage from unknown actors. However, he does finally get into space, but he is immediately met with a mysterious UFO. Lennox gets away, right? Yeah, this is the episode, like, she helps Lennox get away. He makes up some reason for, like, needing to leave. Because, like, Reagan's gone and it's just some, like, big dumb oaf there. Right. And he lets Lennox leave because he's like, I need to go to the supermarket and buy radioactive isotopes. Yeah. <laughs> and then he and then he makes his way to the, uh, the space station where Unit is. Or if he goes to Unit HQ, I don't remember. And there's a character here. He's been here. He's shown up a couple times. I'm not sure if you've noticed, if you've recognized him. His name is Benton. And uh, I know that he becomes a recurring character. If I didn't know that, I would assume he was part of the conspiracy because he was acting suspicious as fuck 
and was like leading Lennox into this cell and be like, don't worry, someone will, will be with you shortly. Just wait right here. Would, can I get you some water or something? And Lennox's like, no, no, just get me the brigadier. And he's like, okay. And just like, close the door. I'm like, that guy is planning on killing the prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> Let me lead you to this dank, dark cellar where you'll be, where no one can hear you scream. I mean, where you'll be really safe. You know, it's a fun fact about our budget. We can actually only afford so many security cameras. And once you know it, most of them are near the front. We are in the back. <laughs> <laughs> but, because uh, I, I mean, honestly, I thought he was too. Because Lennox does immediately die. And that guy even comes in and he's like, here's your food. And then Lennox, like, lifts off the platter and it's the fucking isotope thing. Yeah, it's like a highly irradiated isotope. Yeah. But not nothing. Not even a cool line about revenge is best served cold. Yeah, nothing. Then we cut back to uh, Reagan's base, and like the guard like seizes Liz and is like holding her arms behind her behind her back. It says, "Don't try anything." And and Liz says, "It's all right. I won't hurt you." <laughs> like, oh, I love that line. That was so good. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was a good line. Liz is just a powerhouse this episode, so... This is Liz's episode to shine. <laughs> yeah, no, she's great. She's a great example of how to have women in captivity and not have them just be passive. Yeah, exactly. Then, no, after that was like halfway point, not a good sign. <laughs> then, Reagan is going over to fuck with the with the fuel gauges uh, for the doctor's rocket. And he has to, like, sneak past a couple of guards... And at one point, he's, like, fighting guard on this railing, and he does, like, just this teeny tiny little foot tap on the guy, and he just falls backward and tumbles over the railing and falls three stories. And I'm like, that was <laughs> such a tiny little love tap. <laughs> oh, I think that's what's funny about it, is because, like, Reagan has to, air quotes, sneak past guards by doing, like, D-list kung fu moves. Because he's talking to, like, that one guy, and he's like, oh, yeah, like, I've got my papers, they're right here. Whoopa! <laughs> he seems to have uh, your perspective when it comes to stealth missions. <laughs> <laughs> the guards can't find you if there are no guards. <laughs> <laughs> they can't catch you if there are no witnesses. My, my perspective is the guards can't catch you if there are no bodies. Your perspective is they can't catch you if there are no guards. <laughs> and sh- shows you how much of a tour de force Reagan is because he knows exactly what valves to turn. Oh, I know. A man of many s- trades. Yeah, he is a jack of all trades because I'm like, he didn't strike me as a very like technical person, which is why he needed that's why he needed Lennox to do all the sciencey nerd shit, but like he knows exactly what to do in order to fuck up this rocket. Yeah, he sure does. Even though like it doesn't really stop the rocket or blow up the doctor or anything, because I thought that's what I thought he was trying to do. Now it just kind of made him wait fifteen more minutes. He got some technical issues, but that's about it because they managed to work around them. And then the doctor's in space, and it's important to note that Mac told me that this episode takes place in space. And by take place in space, I, he meant the doctor goes to space for about ten fucking minutes of the whole story. <laughs> Did I say that? That seems like an exaggeration. I'm like 100% confident you said <laughs> took place in space. We will uh, we will see. And uh, I have power over the editing, so I will... I will make sure Caleb is wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
in which hard cut through another word in which the doctor goes to space for a second. <laughs> <laughs> the audio is completely off. <laughs> I do appreciate how in this episode their G-Force simulation is a little better than last time because like it actually had like it felt like a high velocity wind was being blown on John Pertwee's face so like he actually did have like some some g-force on his face uh as opposed to last time where they were oh man they have a headache so their hands were conveniently up by their head and then they just pulled back on their face (laughs) (laughs) And then when they're in zero G, they're just—they've got like zombie arms. Yeah. Going on. Seeds of death. That's where it happened. You know, your least favorite second Doctor episode. Yeah, you know, it was great. It was fine. <laughs> Fantastic. There's a reason I didn't remember that part. I think. <laughs> I got nothing else about this episode. I was gonna say, moving on quickly from remembering Seeds of Death. Episode six: The UFO encapsulates the spacecraft, and the Doctor gets out to explore. He finds the three astronauts watching TV or something, and they believe they are still on Earth in quarantine. A mysterious sound emanates from the wall, and the men go into a strange fugue. A bean appears on a wall-sized monitor and interrogates the doctor about their missing ambassadors. He says if they are not returned, that the ship will destroy the planet. The doctor promises to return to Earth and find the missing ambassadors. He refuses to speak to Cornish or the brigadier over comms about what is going on, lest someone be listening. While recovering from his trip to space, the Doctor is abducted and taken to the bunker. He agrees to help Reagan and Carrington work on a device that can better communicate with the aliens. That's it. I don't even think there's a cliffhanger to this episode. Now that I think about it. I was waiting for it. It's like, is that the entire episode? It doesn't feel right. Uh, I, I think the big reveal is like Carrington coming into the bunker. Oh, yeah. The, you know, the major plot twist that Carrington was a bad guy. That we knew in episode two. Shocker, the guy who's been working with the bad guys this entire time is a bad guy. Holy shit. (laughs) Oh my god. I do like how when the Doctor is in, like, this pseudo-lobby thing. Well, sorry, before that. uh, Before the Doctor left in the rocket last episode, he makes the comment of uh, how he's stuck in this little lobby area before he's allowed to get onto the ship. And he's talking about how drab it is and how this is... uh, really shitty last thing to see on earth before you have to go out into space then he gets onto the alien ufo and they reuse that lobby setting just with some more glowing lights which to me means that like it helps keep the astronauts like mind controlled like hypnotized it like mm-hmm. help eases the transition i thought that was kind of neat it was a nice, nice little yeah, touch that is neat. but first we, we gotta talk about the the chef's kiss green screen effects at the beginning of the episode oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor is uh, i in theory i really like the idea execution could have just used a little bit of work because i think i think the idea was it was supposed to be low gravity or something yes because like the doctor goes to get out of the ship and he just kind of floats down except he doesn't really look like he floats down because the doctor looks like he's just standing straight up and then just glides straight down to the floor he looks like he's like on a tiny little elevator and just being <laughs> lowered down <laughs> I just didn't know what to do at that point. And then he walks like uh, he walks away from the camera towards this light. And then my God, do we watch him walk into that light? Because like he starts walking away. I was like, okay, cut, cut to the next part. I was like, we're gonna watch him walk all the way away, aren't we? And we sure, we sure did. We need to see the doctor walk all the way 
towards the light, and we needed to see that truck go all the way across the bridge, goddammit. <laughs> How are you going to know they got there? <laughs> yeah, then it comes to the lobby area. For a second, I thought they were playing video games. I was like, whoa, did the, doc- the Doctor Who predict video games? <laughs> I feel like video games were around back then. I mean, it wouldn't have been anything more than, like, Pong, but, like, video games existed in the 70s. Did they, though? In the 70s? I mean, like, maybe arcade cabinets. It wouldn't have been, like, anything major. Like, I don't even think Pac-Man came out by then, but, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about video game history. I thought I thought early 1970 was too early. Here. Let me, let me double check, because I don't want to talk completely out of my ass. Yeah, because I thought the first home console didn't come out to, like, the late 70s. Oh, it wouldn't have been a home console, but... Okay. Okay. I'm a little bit off. Uh, Pong came out um, November of 72, so... Eh, never mind. Doctor Who predicts home consoles. He's <laughs> <laughs> talking about the astronauts, and then eventually the wall shows the alien, and it looks like they're like behind like a uh, partway open curtain kind of thing. Which, yeah, that's what it looked like. Which is probably for the best, because just from the glimpse you can see of the alien, it straight up looks like someone was just a toilet paper mummy. Like <laughs> that's what it looked like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like he he looked like Swamp Thing a little bit. A little bit. Which, yeah, I agree. I think it's probably for the better. But there, it is kind of cool because we never like really get a full on glimpse of the aliens. So it's kind of cool that they're actually nameless and faceless, and we never really get a clear image of what they are. That is true. But yes, the alien reveals that uh, he sent down ambassadors of peace, and then the ambassadors were fucking captured, and. He's like, I demand the the ambassadors be brought back. Otherwise, we're coming down in force to get them. And the doctor's like, that sounds reasonable. And he's like, can I take the astronauts down with me when I return to Earth? And they're like, uh, no, they're staying here. And I was like, that also sounds reasonable. <laughs> they need insurance. <laughs> Like I, I agree with the alien to have the humans held captive. I, I think that's that's fair. <laughs> no, I was I was there with you <laughs> because when Doctor was like, "Can I take these guys with me?" I was like, "Doctor, he's not gonna agree to that." <laughs> I was like, "How about this? I give you ev- you give me everything, and then maybe I'll see what I can do about getting your guys back." <laughs> yeah, I was like, "No, no, no, that's not how hostage situations work, asshole." <laughs> <laughs> I have this entire bank hostage. I want you to give me $10 million. Okay, I've just let out all the hostages. Now where's my $10 million? <laughs> 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 then we cut back to the uh, the space station, and the Brigadier is, like, lamenting how uh, uh, he couldn't save, like, Sir James and stuff. And then Cornish points out, yeah, you do seem to be kind of screwing up a lot. <laughs> Brigadier, leather strips, you're really bad at your job. My my note is, now that you mention it, Cornish, yeah, the Brigadier has been failing a lot lately. Why is he in charge? (laughs) (laughs) And so I really, really like the theory of he's just an incompetent soldier who's failed upwards and they just needed to put him somewhere, so they just made unit to keep him quiet. (laughs) (laughs) And then like, ah, this guy's an idiot. Give him the give him the leather strips. <laughs> That's my official name for Lethbridge Stewart now. I like it. They do I think is it Liz who's like trapped in the room with the with the suits and just mm-hmm. like very briefly 
catches a glimpse of their face. Yeah, the helmet comes off and you see just a quick glimpse of their face. And they did a very good job of making the, the alien, like, ugly as shit. Like, you mm-hmm. only see it for a second, but, like, it looks like someone who's been, like, boiled alive, so just has has a whole bunch of blisters all over the face, and then painted blue. Like, yep. it was very disquieting, and I really like their... Something that Doctor Who's not a lot. Their subtlety, in that they didn't show the aliens a whole lot. It was good. Mm-hmm. It was good. Yeah, no, I thought it was good. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. I'm trying to think of if I have anything else to say about this. Is the, this is the point where I'm like... Okay, I'm kind of I'm kind of starting to get the points. The only like other thing that happens that I think is funny or interesting is Reagan is working for Carrington, mm-hmm. but he also makes it clear that he also has plans for the aliens that Carrington maybe isn't privy to. Yeah, which gets revealed in the next episode, and it is the dumbest, most amazing thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I I do like how um the doctor is consistently like he volunteered to go up up in the spaceship and is like frustrated with how long the fueling has taken and frustrated with uh how long the docking system has taken and how he has to wait in quarantine before he's allowed back the doctor is so fucking frustrated with this slow ass method of space travel he's like i'm used to just blinking and being somewhere now you're telling me i have to like Basically do the space equivalent of a slow walk up there. Oh, God. <laughs> it's it's the version of the doctor riding an escalator anyway. <laughs> I'm just kind of a big fan of Reagan's just like, it's almost cut like Ocean's Eleven. So it's like Reagan uh, knocking someone out and taking out his equipment and then walking over to this other thing and like screwing something in and pumping in the gas to make sure that the doctor passes out. And then he puts on his mask and then comes into the room and takes the doctor's body and throws it in the back of his van and then like changes what the what is shown in the van, like what sort of business is on is on the outside and then he just like drives out of the compound and just like just like does like a salute kind of thing to the guard and the guard lets him through (laughs) it was just so smooth it was such a smooth kidnapping and i love reagan (laughs) yeah reagan's great and then my last note is just being absolutely flabbergasted at general carrington being the bad guy I i do have one more note so when the doctor wakes up uh there and like he sees liz I felt tension that I didn't like. Like what kind of tension? Because she, she's in her like mini skirt silver dress, right? So she's like right there by his head, and like the doctor like looks at up at him, and she he like straight up like brushes her hair out of her face, and they're just like locking eyes. <laughs> There's an uncomfortable sexual tension between the doctor yeah. and Liz. And I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know how I feel about the doctor. Even implying that he might be interested in his companions. <laughs> oh, man. man, I do not. I'm just me staring I'm... at my fingernails over here, not responding to your issues. <laughs> I do not like the face you just made at all. Hmm. Anyway, episode seven. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Yikes. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say this, Caleb. I agree with you. <laughs> the writers might not always <laughs> <laughs> oh, alright I'm going to repress that until it's relevant again yeah <laughs> episode 7 
Carrington has taken the aliens hostage because he believes the race is a threat to the human race, and he will organize a preemptive strike to destroy the UFO in orbit. Reagan wants to use them to rob banks or something. <laughs> the doctor, while working on the machine, is able to send out an SOS code that is tracked to the bunker. The brigadier arrives, has the worst fight sequence I've ever seen, and saves the doctor. The men use the aliens to force their way back into the space station and stop Carrington before he creates a broadcast announcing his plans for the attack. Carrington's arrested, and then the doctor just kind of leaves before the plot is resolved. Yeah. <laughs> so the doctor is talking with Carrington trying to figure out what exactly his game is, and Carrington says that he he used to be an astronaut, and he encountered these aliens, and they viciously murdered his uh his men in cold blood and the doctor's like but like they honestly didn't know that 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 would happen they didn't know that they were toxic to humans they probably just shook their hands in peace and fucking accidentally killed them and uh carrington's not having any of it and it's like it's a matter of duty i must save the world and i was just like oh you're crazy okay i get it now (laughs) yep basically (laughs) It's interesting because, like, it does have kind of the same moral quandaries as the Silurians did. Mm-hmm. Except I I didn't agree with what happened in the Silurians, but I understood the rationale way more than I did in this one. Yes, because in the Silurians, there were at least a couple of them that were aggressive towards humans. I also don't agree with what the Brigadier, yeah, with what the Brigadier did, but that's... Well, again, what I say is one of the strongest strengths of that story is that you understood his perspective. And, like, we can't risk that. The Silurians also, intentionally or not, engaged in biological warfare. Yes. These aliens, on the other hand, just have a different chemical makeup that makes them literally fatal to humans. It's not by any sort of malicious means that they've killed any of these humans. They've either accidentally done that or... They were controlled by humans to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it says a lot about the Brigadier that he didn't just like instantly go with Carrington's plan of like, yes, let's de- let's kill the aliens. He he saw the nuance to it, mm-hmm. which I really appreciated. Yes, these are good companion episodes. Yeah, it, it is. Then they they set out the Morse code, and I'm wondering if you might be able to tell us. I don't I don't know. I don't know anything about Morse code. I was wondering if they actually sent out an SOS signal and given that Pertwee Pertwee was in the navy, he would probably know the Morse code. <laughs> yeah, I don't know shit about Morse code, but I I know the moment when they were doing it cuz like they were trying to build a machine and like he's having Liz play like, "Hey, see if the aliens react to this message." SOS SOS SOS. SOS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, oh my god, I fucking love this, Caleb. Um, So the Brigadier meets up with with what few unit soldiers are left that haven't been, like, taken by Carrington. And Carrington's also, like, commandeered all their vehicles. So he's just like, we need to get to this bunker, but we have no means of doing it. And then Benton just kind of, like, sheepishly raises his hand. There is the doctor's car. (laughs) And then it's just, like, this fucking (laughs) clown car filled up in Bessie, where just, like, a whole bunch of soldiers are just, like... Super scrunched in, <laughs> holding their guns, driving down the road in Bessie, and it was fucking no. hilarious. <laughs> no, I agree. Genuinely, because like they drive down the road, they're like machine guns, like hanging out of the canopy. I was just waiting for them to start shooting in the air. 
And then they arrive and prove that once again, they're utterly fucking incompetent. I think we've hit the nail on the head, Caleb. I'm pretty sure that unit is where they send all of the soldiers that are just too incompetent to function in any other. Uh, I keep wanting. I hate that they're called unit because I want to say that they're <laughs> incompetent in any other unit. But <laughs> <laughs> five soldiers with rifles cannot take down two rando crooks with handguns and then the rando crooks with handguns run out of ammo and they like put their hands up and the soldiers come over to arrest them and then they start fighting fisticuffs and then the soldiers like drop their guns and start fighting back and i'm like dude (laughs) you're at point blank just shoot him (laughs) and then finally mac is like just shoot them well because it gets better because they start fighting, and then, oh my god, the crooks pick up their rifles oh, and start shooting. Oh my god! <laughs> and then Lethbridge Stewart gets into just a hilariously terrible fight. <laughs> yeah. So Brigadier rescues them, and then they uh, uh, drive back to the space station. And um, I think it was Cornish telling Carrington, you can't do this. You're going to incite mass hysteria. You can't do this broadcast. And then uh, Carrington's like, I won't allow insubordination. Arrest this man. And so his men take Cornish away. And I'm like, this guy is just arresting anyone who has a different opinion than him. Forget military. He should go into politics. (laughs) (laughs) There's a whole sequence where, like, they use the aliens to get through, like, this, like, checkpoint. Yeah. Uh, Because, like, Carrington has, like, the station guarded. Mm -hmm. And the aliens using their force fields just kind of, like, walk through and, like, blow up the locks to the door and then the soldiers just let the doctor and the brigadier and all them drive through yeah the the doctor like does he have a megaphone or does he just shout i don't remember he has a megaphone. he has a megaphone he says hey just so you know these guys are immune to bullets and will kill you upon contact get the fuck out of our way <laughs> <laughs> and then um i i don't know i don't know how to feel about this because on the one hand it the brigadier and what's left of uh, his unit uh, squad go in and basically hold Carrington at gunpoint, and the brigadier says that he's putting the general under arrest. And the general just kind of just like puts his gun down after after a moment of staring at the brigadier and um, goes along with his uh, with his his police escort. And it feels genuinely surprising that the general just kind of went along with being put under arrest, but also mm-hmm. at the same time like. He's lawful to a fault and is so inundated with the military thinking that it almost also makes sense that he'd be like, oh, okay, well, if that's what the rules say, then I I guess I'm under arrest. Like, I'm kind of iffy. What do you think? I think it's less of like he's lawful to a T and more of he's just kind of realized that the, uh, the jig is up. Yeah. Uh, I felt like his plan kind of like relied on keeping... If, if you're going to kill the doctor, then you have to keep him out of the way long enough for, like, his plan to come through. But now that they're there, and it's clear that the ambassadors aren't trying to actively murder everyone, that Carrington has kind of blown up the situation. So he's like, eh. Yeah. The game is found out. So, yeah. so I think it's more of, like, even though Carrington could just order all of them to be killed, he's already kind of lost the war, so to speak. Yeah, very true. The part I don't really get is after all that he walks up to the doctor and he's basically and he asks the doctor you understand why i didn't why i did it didn't you i had a moral duty and the doctor's like yeah i get it i was like 
Except, no, you shouldn't. I, I think it's in the same way that we get why the Brigadier did what he did in the Silurians. Of just like, yeah, I get it. I disagree with you fundamentally, but like, I understand why you think you needed to do that. That's how I read it. Uh, I guess. I know. I couldn't really read what the Doctor was thinking. But then the most important part happens where he's like, well, I'm sure you all have it from here. And they're like, well, the Doctor, we still need to send these guys into space. The UFO, it's still threatening to kill us. And he's like, ah, Liz is here. She can help you guys figure it out. I'm going to go home. (laughs) I'm going to go home and work on my car. (laughs) And then the episode ends with the Doctor just walking out of the room. And then they're like, all right, next time on Doctor Who. Yeah, which does feel jarring but i also kind of appreciate it on a couple of levels where it's like after the events from last episode the doctor is like strangely enough kind of putting his faith in the brigadier that he'll handle these peaceful negotiations and also his faith in liz that now she's got it yeah also like yeah i want to go home and work with my model trains (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but it was just it was odd because like i don't think there's ever been a moment like that in the show where the doctor is like oh the plot is almost over i don't need to see the end of it i'm sure you guys i'm sure you guys have got it (laughs) yeah shall i go into trivia yeah um so this is the final episode written by david whittaker um he has written a lot of episodes but this is his this is his final interaction with the series i would say that he went out not on his highest note but on a pretty good note yeah, I'd say I'd say this is one of the stronger episodes he's done. Uh, he disagrees. David Whitaker names this as his least favorite episode he's ever written. David. <laughs> and just as a reminder, hold on, scroll up, scroll up. Uh, he wrote Edge of Destruction, Rescue, Crusade, Power of the Daleks, Evil of the Daleks, Enemy of the World, and Wheel in Space. And this was his least favorite he wrote. David. <laughs> now... The reason is because uh, a lot of it had to be rewritten by uh, Malcolm Hulk. I'm not entirely sure why, but for whatever reason, a lot of his script had to be rewritten. Uh, But for contractual reasons, Malcolm Hulk went uncredited. So, Mm. Caroline John's future husband actually played one of the soldiers in this story. Uh, He played the unfortunately named Private Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. The script was originally pitched for the previous season, so it was originally written with uh, the second Doctor, Jamie and Zoe, in mind. So that's probably the extensive rewrites that Malcolm Monk had to mm, do. Makes sense. This is a fun, morbid fact. Episode six of this story is to believe the is believed to be the most recent episode of the series to feature uh, a cast with no surviving cast members. <laughs> what yeah so this is the most recent episode in all of classic who in which nobody who is on the cast is currently alive huh yeah (laughs) well so that's that's fun caroline john was forced to wear a blonde wig anytime she was on location outside because her hair frizzed so badly in the rain she was also very privately very nervous And she didn't tell anyone about this until much later. Uh, She was very nervous because she just recently discovered that she was pregnant with her first child while filming this episode. Yay! Yay! (laughs) On the blonde wig thing, I thought I could tell that because, like, during that car sequence, I was like, is Liz blonde? I thought she had, like, red hair. Yeah. (laughs) I guess they were hoping you wouldn't notice. 
Uh, final thoughts. I thought it was pretty good. It's too long, but yes, uh, I feel like it's a better version of the Silurians. I disagree. Um, I think that it it dragged a little bit, especially in terms of like the um, the space communications and prep and stuff. It felt like it dragged a little bit too much. That being said, so it is technically last on my ranking, but not because it's bad. It's just I like the other two a little bit more. Uh, I do agree. If it was down, if it was cut down to four episodes, perfect, great. Mm-hmm. I really like that the aliens are uh, peaceful, even though they can kill us with no effort. Um, I like the, the um, mirroring of the ending to the Silurians, but like this one has a happy ending, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I like the doctors kind of take charge, like an attitude through, throughout the episode the whole time. Mm-hmm. I think Liz was really well utilized, yes. even though she was hosted, held hostage for four of the episodes. I felt like she's so distinct as a character from so many of the other female companions. I agree. I I really like Reagan. <laughs> yeah, so do I. I think he's he's definitely going to be in the running for best NPC when we do Doctor Zach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think for me it was more it was more enjoyable because like even though it did drag i felt like all the characters were distinct and had their own motivations whereas i i can't really tell you anyone who was in the silurians uh and we just watched it <laughs> that's fair grand give me a week and i'll give you i'll tell you how many characters i remember from this but <laughs> but yeah i just i like the episode it was good it's not my favorite i think the first episode is my favorite so spearhead Mm-hmm. that's fair all i'd say all three of these are have been pretty solid quality so far so pretty much any combination of ranking i feel like is totally justified yeah uh, honestly i think right now that like overall this is becoming my favorite doctor because mm-hmm. i feel like the quality of the ep- individual episodes is significantly higher than the average between the first and second doctors i don't want to be a a doomsayer here i do believe at one point we said that the second doctor can't miss and then he just started taking a swift downturn after that boy howdy did he start missing (laughs) uh so hopefully that doesn't happen i hope not but i do feel like like i said on average the overall quality of the individual episodes is significantly better Mm -hmm. right now i feel Mm -hmm. so well that's it for this episode guys thanks for listening if you like us and you want to support us the best thing you can do is give us five stars on apple podcasts and tell your friends about us you can listen to this podcast on apple podcasts like i just said google podcasts uh, spotify you know all the major podcast things if you want to follow us you can follow us on twitter at quicktripdw you can also check out Mac's YouTube channel, Mac the Ma, where he does insightful videos about video games. And join us next time on a quick trip through space and time, in which we watch the first episode that focuses around the idea of parallel worlds in Inferno. Ooh. Inferno. 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 <laughs>